girl for dinner. I'm the man year round, January to December. She take me out of my place, but I stay in my zone. Let me right in my face. The third episode of the Justin Spaulding Show is live on YouTube. Uh, if you're seeing this somewhere else, that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. If you are watching live, if you're watching on YouTube, um, would love for you guys to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click subscribe. We're coming to you live every single week. This is the third episode already. This is the first time we've been here in uh, 2021, which has already been an interesting year with some of the crap that's gone on. And uh, I got people already like on Instagram and Facebook saying, uh, did you see that some, some of the posts? I'm talking to Ryder, by the way. So I'm Justin Spaulding, if you, if you don't know. Uh, entrepreneur, um, business, man, uh, real estate. I'm not a guru, but just a real estate investor. And I'm here with Ryder, who's our content guy, and he's a sales rep uh, as well in our in our painting company. But have you seen some of the posts, Ryder, with uh, someone said, I tried my free... Uh, the posts have said, it's been like uh, the meme. It's like, it says... I want to unsubscribe from my free trial, my free seven day trial of 2021. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I've no, seen that a couple of times and I'm just like, come on, let's yeah. go change of mindset. You know, just like you posted the other day and I talked about in the last show, uh, in the second episode, it's never, um, it's always like the man in the mirror, um, it, it in the woman in the mirror, um, too many people let extrinsic things bother them or take them off course. And, uh, a lot of times we need to just look in the mirror and say, okay, well, I, I have a decision to make and I'm going to make this, you know, I'm going to control the things I can control um, and I'm going to make this life the best life. I'm going to make this year the best year, this month the best month, this week the best week, this day the best day, this hour the best hour, minute the best minute. And when you do that stuff and just focus on what you can control, um, you know, a lot of this other stuff um, just, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, some of the events that happened in DC, I talked to my, my buddy who's the opposite end of the political spectrum as me, but it's like, we're sitting there talking for like two hours. One of my best friends, Jake McCarty, I know he listens to the show. Um, and it's like, you know, the world and most of us, 95, you know, 95, 98% of us, we actually, um, just trying to fix my Instagram feed here. Um, We actually agree on, Ryder, can you try to get get this to stay? 95% of us actually agree uh, on, 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 you know, 95% of the things, 98% of the things, but then it's like the media wants to focus on the 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, 5% of things um, to that just drive uh, both sides nuts, nuts and pinnace against each other, and which obviously helps their business because their businesses ratings and eyeballs and all that stuff but it's just it's kind of crazy it's sad to see it's it's a crazy world when you are looking on facebook and instagram or scrolling through and going through tv and msnbc and uh fox news and cnbc and cnn and you don't know what the hell to believe which that's just crazy it's crazy to me and it's uh it's 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 insane but start focusing on yourself look in the mirror what can you do better to improve yourself to improve your situation because a lot of that stuff if you just turn off the tv and turn off the news you'll you'll start to realize holy crap like i'm doing just fine not paying attention to all this junk and you'll you you start to realize how little of an impact it actually which is something jake and i were talking about on the phone the other day it, it just it's, it's crazy how much of a little impact it actually will have on your life day-to-day -day life if you um choose to not let it so um, so yeah, that's, that's my little two cents on that and what's already happened in 2021. So welcome to 2021. If you're someone that sets, uh, 
if you're someone that sets new year's resolutions i'm not a big resolutions guy uh i'm always someone that's like you know a, a date we talked about this on the last show too a date is never gonna be something that like changes changes something um it's it's got to be just start now right like every single day whatever your goals are if they change or you know whatever um and there's nothing wrong if your goals change but start now um and don't don't get so focused on just the new year's resolution uh live your life in a way that you can implement something now that you uh you can choose what you want to go after and implement something now that will start getting you there don't wait never never wait never let a date um hold you back um, or be the thing that pushes you that, that you never, never let the date also be the thing that you think is going to push you forward. Cause it's just, it's not going to happen. It's just a date. Um, that being said, Ryder, we want to go into the, uh, Ryder's got his what Insta lunch, uh, ramen noodles yeah, protein and his drink. protein drink, his little, uh, breakfast essentials over there. All right. First question. Do you have a traditional retirement savings, like a 401k or do you put all your money towards real estate? I do not have a 401k. I think a 401k is just a bunch of baloney um if you're trying to build wealth <laughs> the thing about a 401k and i don't know all the rules about a 401k but right but i get it from a high enough level where i'm just like why why do you want to at, at i'm i'm 31 but from age 20 to 25 30 35 40 45 why do you want to put your money in something that then you cannot touch until you're sick and i'm once again 62 65 whatever it might be what why it's not bringing you any cash every month. <clears throat> so it's not a cash flow producing investment. Why are you locking your money up in a 401k? You have zero control over it. And it's just going to sit there until your ex age and you're old, you know, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years from now, you're older. Um, and then I believe with the 401k and some of those plans, you only have a certain uh, time frame, a certain window to be able to use a lot of that money up or you're taxed on it. Um, unfavorably so for me it's like i i've never i've never looked at i actually had a, a roth ira that i liquidated when i was like 22 i paid it was only like six thousand dollars or something but i paid i paid the tax on it i paid the penalty on it because i was moving it to real estate and it, it was like a no-brainer like that six thousand dollars even though i only ended up after the fees and penalties and stuff i think i ended up with like forty five hundred dollars or four thousand dollars of that left and then i put it with my other cash to go in and on, on a deal it was a no brainer for me to do that because that, that money has actually come out so much further ahead. I put in, I initially put in $20,000 into real estate in 2013. And, uh, it's something that's grown, grown. I don't know that, that initial 20 has probably grown a thousand X. I don't, I don't know. Insane amount. Um, and, uh, so I, I'm, I'm someone that I'm investing in, uh, real estate and in businesses that I can control. Um, I made an investment in uh, my family had had some veterinary practices and stuff like that. And I was a part of that. And I put money into that because I understood it. I had some control over it. Um, and I, I just, that's where I put my money. It was a great investment. It worked out really, really, really well. And then um, I've put my money, obviously I invested a small amount into prime painters. Um, I've invested via not taking a salary or deferring my my salary from Spalding Group. Um, I've invested in Spalding Group. I'm investing in real estate. Um, really, that's all I've invested in. So it's, you know, a lot of people think, oh, a 401k, I'm spread out there because it's so diverse and you know, all this stuff. <clears throat> you realize that the, 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 the richest people in the world, which by the way, I think Elon Musk became the richest person in the world the other day or something, which 
is really just a bunch of BS because for it could be for like 10 seconds or 10 days or, you know, whatever, because of the stock prices change, you know, it's, it's a drastic shift. But um, he did so. And, and you look at the wins that he has, he was, he had his, all his eggs in very, 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 very few baskets, you know, I mean, and, and you look at what he's doing now. And once again, it's, it's very, for, for how much resources he has, it's a very few amount of baskets. There's, there's people that, that, you know, make a hundred thousand dollars a year or $200,000 a year. And because they're in a 401k or a Roth IRA or, you know, stocks or whatever, they're actually more diverse uh, than Elon Musk is. And Elon Musk has, has $190 billion of resources, right? Personally. Um, and so that's just, it, it goes to show that you should really learn um, and then really go all in on those items that you're learning and have fewer baskets, but really keep your eyes on those baskets, um, improve in those areas and really drive your wealth that way. Um, I don't see myself ever having a 401k Roth IRA or, or things like that. Um, if that's what you, if, if that in a house is what you're banking on to build wealth, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a long journey, long up and down journey. Uh, find something that's going to provide you cash flow every single month and has the ability to go up and appreciate in value. I know, right. I heard you talking through the walls the other day, someone out here, cause you, you invested in Tesla, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had bought like 29, what's that? 38,000 now. <laughs> I heard that through the wall the other day. I was like on a phone conference and I was on speakerphone and I heard you talking to Ember, I think. And uh, it's funny, but yeah, next question. So the question, and then I know that some people, you know, obviously we're watching live, but I know some people listen while they're driving. So I also will read the question out loud. This question's a little bit long, long-winded, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll read the question out loud and then uh, start to piece it apart. Um, the question is, so what do you know about day trading? So I'm going to put this out there. I know zero about day trading. Not going to lie to you. Uh, I've looked into investments, day trading, long-term investments, real estate, et cetera, for years. I'm aware of the risks. I just don't know what to go for first, whether I just go for it or not. And then he asks, what do you recommend as a first step for investments and financial goals and or a career? Uh, and this is actually someone that graduated from Milton in 2018, which is my hometown. No. Um, so I do not know anything about day trading. I'm never going to pretend like I do know about day trading. I know people that have had success day trading because, you know, and really the mentality there is I, I never want to prevent someone from having success. Um, so I never want to deter someone from doing something, right? So just because day trading isn't what I do doesn't mean you shouldn't do it and it's not for you and you can't be successful there. But what I am saying is if you're going to do it, you better, the people that are successful, I bet there's been some point in time where they lost 10 grand when they really probably couldn't afford to lose 10 grand, but they kept going, right? Uh, the biggest thing though, is if you're gonna do that, you have to find a way to learn. You've gotta find a resource to learn about what you are doing, and then you've gotta implement that knowledge. And as you start to learn, you're probably, it's like a funnel of learning, right? You're probably gonna start by just reading everything you can, but then at some point, you know, I talked about before, you have less baskets, more eggs and less baskets, well, it's the same thing with learning and who you're paying attention to with learning because when you first start, you probably don't know who to listen to, right? So you find multiple people that are having success. But as you start and you funnel it down, as you start to go on your own venture, you got to be careful with who you listen to as well because a lot of people are going to have contradicting uh, opinions on what you should be doing. And if you're listening to too many people, you're going to get pulled into too many different ways within the first two years of doing something where you're just not going to take any action at all. Um, so you got to find early on, you got to find 
just as much knowledge as possible. And then you got to start to whittle it down and, and be able to take the advice that makes sense to you. And then ultimately what's going to happen is you'll, you'll be able to write your own book. You'll be able to make your own videos telling people how to do it because you're going to find your special sauce when it comes to uh, day trading, if that's what you choose, um, that works for you. But once again, you got to give this thing five years. You can't just like jump into day trading, start to learn about it. Uh, when this is what always happens too, people win big in like the first week, and then all of a sudden they think they're God, and then they lose everything that they made, and then they're done. Okay, well don't do that. If you're gonna make a commitment, like make a commitment and learn, and don't make a decision and don't take action that's gonna debilitate your financial uh, situation for the ten years to come, right? If you're gonna take somewhat of a risk, take risk with something that you can 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 afford to lose early on, right? Um, which that's different for everybody. Some people don't mind going completely back to zero because they can live, you know, they don't have kids and you know, whatever, they can live relatively cheaply, right? So you, you have to make what that best decision for you. Um, I'm just going through the question in my head here. Um, I, I think first, the, the first, so, so the, the more of the question was, you know, uh, as, as I'm going through her question, more of it, um, Part of it says, what do you recommend as a first step for investments and financial goals and or a career? My first step is you got to, once I said before, you got to learn and then you got to find a way to make money. So then if you want to invest in real estate, you can invest in real estate. Uh, so that if you want to do day trading, you can day trade and do that. So you've got to find a way to have some type of an income stream. And ideally, you know, what you can do is as you have a full time job working 40 uh, 60, 80, 100 hours a week, whatever it might be, to then also take 5, 10, 15, 20 hours a week and start to create another income stream, whether it's flipping stuff or direct sales, um, to be able to start to grow a stream of income that really where you're not capped, right? And sales is something that if you can learn to sell and get a sales role anywhere or start selling your own stuff, like buying and flipping it, you're uncapped with how much you can make there, right? You just got to get out and put the work in. So that's my, that's my advice. And then save up, uh, save up money. Um, and then be able, now, now you have some options, right? You might end up having a savings of $10,000 to be able to start another business, uh, or to, you know, put into day trading or, you know, to buy a single family home to flip or whatever it might be, right? You might then get up to hundred thousand dollars of savings and it's just rinse and repeat. Once you get to $10,000 of savings, find a way to get to 50. Then once you get to 50, find a way to get to 100, right? And then you want to be able to put that cash. You don't want to be married to the cash. You want to convert that cash into assets and specifically cash flow producing assets so that then when you put that cash to work, you might have worked up to, to $10,000. You put that cash towards something that can ultimately bring you more cash while your other streams of income, like your 60 hours a week working at the job and you flipping stuff is still paying you as well, right? Now you work up to 50, you put the 50 to work, right? Don't be scared to put money to work. Money in the bank isn't getting anyone rich and wealthy other than the bank. Um, so my my goal is whenever whenever I get uh, get a check for uh, $50,000, $100,000, $400,000, it's, it's I'm pushing it back out of my bank account as fast as I can. Um, I've had too much in my bank account the last four months personally because it's like I need to, I know that I need to push that uh, my personal money out so that I go back down to zero um, but have that money go not towards cars, not towards shoes, not towards depreci depreciating assets but towards appreciating assets that also throw me cash flow right And then now as you start to do that, 
your savings will actually accrue back into your bank account faster than you can put it to work. Right. And that's a, that's the thing that, you know, Jeff Bezos and all these, the richest people on the planet. I mean, they have, they have so many, uh, the cash is just spinning. It comes in. I mean, Tesla, Tesla, SpaceX, Elon Musk, that company will have cash in and Elon can't push it out fast enough. He's like, how fast can I burn this cash to turn it into more cars, to turn it into, you know, more products, whatever, uh, to, to put it towards more advertising, to get more brand awareness or to get more sales, right? So then what do the sales do? The sales bring in more cash, right? And now what does he want to do again? He wants to push out the cash as fast as possible. So it's about cash flow. So that's a long-winded way to answer your question. But um, that's, that's, that is like some solid advice right there, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. like it's for real, it works. Next question. Uh, the question is, good morning. First off, thanks for responding. I just want to know how and if it is possible, if, sorry, how and if it is important to have a system in place to successfully run a real estate business or does the old-fashioned technique, technique still work, particularly in wholesaling? So I, I got, I'm not really sure what he means by old-fashioned techniques. Um, and I'm not sure, I guess, like when you're talking uh, a real estate business, what does that mean? Is that like a brokerage? Is that property management? Is that real estate investing? Is it house flipping? Um, but I'll just talk in broader, higher level terms um, that should work to any business. All businesses, it's important to have some type of system in place. Otherwise, you're always going to be just in that business. Um, with no systems, no help, no people, no processes. Um, so yes, you need to find a way to have uh, and implement a system. You know, like Prime Painters started that business in March, and I, I immediately tried to figure out, start, you know, figuring out systems in each area of the company, right? And it's like, well, okay, you have sales and marketing. That's one area. So we have a sales and marketing process. Um, we, you know, and then you know, once you get leads coming in, we have a whole process for getting the estimates done. Um, we have an accounting process, we have a production slash project management process, right? So we have different processes, you know, and, and same thing in, you know, running the real estate, we have the different areas of the business and each of them have the process. And, uh, you know, when a, a company is young, the processes change a lot. They're shaky sometimes because uh, we're, you're learning and that's, that's the only way you can know if your process works is by go out and do it. Riders got to see that you know, being a sales rep for uh, prime painters here the last like three or four weeks, maybe now yeah. uh, where he's gotten to see, okay, like we start to get a process and we've adapted that process actually kind of as he was coming in a little bit and are still adapting it. Um, but it's a process, it's a system. And what I'm always telling Ryder is, you know, he's like, he's getting to the point. He's like, man, I'm, I'm with some of this stuff. I'm just getting a gut feeling and I'm knowing how much I should charge for this. And I'm like, well, that's great, but we also still have to document how we're figuring it out because there's gonna be another sales rep, whether he gets replaced or he gets hit by a bus or like leaves, or if we just grow and we need three sales reps, we need a process and a system in place so that we can plug and play people, right? It can't just be person uh, dependent on the person that's doing it currently and the knowledge that's in their brain. We gotta get a process down on paper. And so actually with Prime Painters, Spalding Group and, and the properties, we're working uh, um, on playbooks, company playbooks, being the sports background. Um, and basically, it's not the how, but it's the what. And it's basically checklists of like, these are all the things that need to be done um, to do this part of the cycle, whether it's a sales or production or, you know, whatever maintenance and, you know, property management, we have, we have to have the, um, the what down. So it's almost like a working checklist that new people can work from. And that playbook, it doesn't have it doesn't have the um, 
It doesn't have the how to do it, but we do have other supporting documents or videos that we'll create that'll have more of the how to on the more complex items, right? And so I just again, sports background. If you've played sports and you've, if, if football is a great example, when you're talking about a playbook, well, you look down at the diagram and you see, you know, if you're a receiver, you see the post pattern, like where you're supposed to cut in, like how many yards and where you're supposed to cut in. But what the playbook doesn't show you is the things that you learn on the field from the veterans doing it, right? When you watch them. And if you watch Devontae Adams, Packers wide receiver, who will play in 10 days from now has like 300 yards receiving. Ryder's shaking his head because he's a Bear fan. They got Trubisky and they're about to lose this weekend to the Seahawks. Uh, you're going to watch Devontae Adams. You know, if I'm a rookie, I'm going I'm to look at the playbook and I'm going to see and I'm going to know where I'm supposed to go when they call, you know, I write X300, you know, X crossed, whatever, right? And I know where I'm supposed to go. But now when we get to the field and I know the process, right? There's the checklist kind of where I'm supposed to go, but I don't necessarily know the, all the hows. So your initial systems, they just need to be like the act, like the what, so that you kind of know what you're supposed to be doing, like a checkbox, right? But then the actual detail of it is going to kind of come in the field. You're going to learn uh, more of the detail and you'll watch Devontae Adams. It's like, okay, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's six steps this way, then a half step that way with a 45 degree plant, you know, a shake and turn your head and then turn your head the other way and run to the post, right? You're going to see the detail on the field. You don't see all that in the playbook. So that's how we're getting, that's how we're starting to get our systems down in place is we have a playbook that has the checklist of what each role needs to do, what each uh, process looks like. And then um, people, uh, yeah, yeah, dad, my dad's watching live. It's funny. He said, Ryder's a Bear fan, really? Yeah, Ryder should be fired for being a Bears fan. And ever. Yeah. Uh, and Ember, yeah. Uh, she's a Bears fan. Yeah. She wears a Bears shirt. I don't know. Day. I don't know that. Um, so that's, you know, coming up with a playbook, that's the processes, that's the what, and then the how is kind of figured out in the field or via a video that you create for your teams. But systems are important if you're looking to actually scale something. If you don't have any processes or systems, you know, it's going to be hard to have a business that does more than, you know, maybe 75000 dollars $300,000 a year. And some people are like, well, $300,000 a year is a lot. But when you actually see all the expenses to run a business and you're like, whoa. It's actually not that much revenue um, because there's actually not that much left over um, for all the work that you're doing. Uh, then you're going to need processes and systems and stuff like that to grow. Then on the other hand, it's like you don't want to be so systemized, though, where you have like a bunch of robots necessarily that, you know, because sometimes it's personality where you do need you need the personality, too. Right. So, um, you know, you don't necessarily want to micromanage every single thing that goes on. There's some non-negotiables, uh, but um you just don't want to have it be too boxy, if that makes sense. Next question. Any advice for refinancing a value add deal? Yeah, my, I mean, my advice would be to make sure when you're going to the bank, I think Eddie asked this question. Um, who Eddie, shout out to Eddie. I don't know how many units you got right now. You can put it in the chat, but I think you're up to like, what, 30 or 40, 45 units, something like that. There's a guy that took uh, started taking some of my courses maybe two years ago. Um, and he's just crushing it down in Eddie, you're in Alabama, right? Somewhere down South, down that Alabama area. Um, I think he asked this question. So any advice for refinancing a value add deal? The biggest thing is when you're in a value add deal, you've got a lot of cash going out because you're improving the property. And so you want to make sure that when you have it stabilized and if it's been stabilized for three months or five months and you're looking to go refinance, uh, cause now you're full and all that stuff, you got to make sure that 
uh, your, to your, your trailing 12 months, which goes back 12 months of performance, basically your income statement going back 12 months in the rear to see what your most current year of operations has looked like. Um, so like right now, if I was going to talk to a bank, it's, what is it? It's January. So I'd go back, it'd be the last 12 months of last year. But if we're in April, I would be looking at, you know, March 2020 through April, 2021. That'd be right. Would that be 12 months or that 13 months? April, May. Yeah, I'd be doing May. Sorry. So if I'm in April of 2021 doing this, I'd need, I'd need my financials from May, 2020 through April, 2021 to give me the most recent 12 months of operations. If I've only been, if I've been stabilized for three months, I need to make sure that, so three, those three months, your financials will probably look pretty good. But when you were still putting a lot of cash into the deals, you need to make sure that those other nine months, um, your financials look the way they should look. So your, your, uh, investments, your capital investments and the cash that you have going out to buy, you know, new refrigerators, uh, to, to buy, you know, and put in new, new carpeting and flooring, new doors, new, new paint, you know, all those investments that are kind of more like one-time investments to get the asset up to where it needs to be. They need to be put below the net operating income. Um, so, and because if you don't take that out of the net operating income, your value on that property is not going to be as high. So you want to move that below the net operating income and it'll just be under your CapEx account. It doesn't mean you don't show the bank. You, you show the bank your total, you know, all your cash out, but the bank will understand, oh, it's a capital expenditure. It means they, they really added a lot of value here. And then all of a sudden it, it's only showing up for nine months because they got it to the point where they did the whole property. There's really, there's no more need for that much uh, accelerated capital expenditure because you're done right? It's the same thing if you own a business or you're looking to sell a business or get a loan or whatever, any investments that you made into the business that are more of like one-time investments, you want it to be taken out of your, you know, earnings so that it doesn't lower your earnings because they're going to take a multiple to the earnings and you want the earnings to be as high as possible so that, um, you have the highest valuation. So that's gotta be the way that you look at the real estate too. Eddie, I don't know if you're watching or not, but you can always ask another question that should help. Uh, next question. How do you think Dems and office will affect the real estate market and first time investors? I think that prices are going to go up, uh, because usually with Democrats in office, there's usually more regulations that come into place, uh, come into play. And when there's more regulations, things take longer. Um, it's harder to get things done when, when things take longer, when they're get, when they're harder to get done, there's more expenses. So I think that prices will go up. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know, like Democrats have Congress, Senate, and obviously the presidency, uh, but the, the, the Senate is so close that I, I don't know that it's going to actually make a huge difference. And it'll probably be not, not too much will probably change over the next four years, or at least the next two years, but who knows? But I, even if it was Republicans in office, I mean, it's still, I think over time, real estate's going to go up. Is there going to be a point in time when real estate goes down for you know, a month, three months, uh, six months, two years. Yes. There's going to, when is that going to happen? I don't know. Right. But, um, you should be buying deals that you can make it through. Yes, it'll be tight, but you should be buying deals that you can make, make it through uh, worst case scenarios. Um, and so 
I think that the worst thing you can do is just sit on the sidelines and not invest or try to time the market. If you're just trying to time the market, you might be waiting forever or, you know, whatever, but you still at the same time, you can't just go buy every single deal. You got to go look at 50 to hundred deals and then buy the best one, two or three that you find. And then uh, make sure that you can still operate and hang on to the deals when things do get bad. Uh, even if things start to get bad next month or next year or five years from now, what's your plan when, uh, maybe some shit hits the fan. Um, that's that. That was your question. Yeah, it was. Does that help? Yeah. Property management question. How do you prepare an operations budget? Um, basically what you do, I mean, now our chief operating officer and our controller and our managers and stuff are doing a lot of that. And then, you know, we kind of look at them and approve them, obviously. Um, but essentially what you're doing is you're looking at, okay, you, number one for revenue uh, and with leases and the 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 rents, okay, where where are our rents at right now? What are, what's the market? So you're doing a market study. Uh, what apartments do I have that are under market value? And when is that lease up? And when when will that be more towards? How, how much am I going to raise that rent? Right. So each of your apartments, if you have a ten unit building, you should go through figure out the um, what the current market is then compare it and see how much how much um, loss to lease you have loss to lease is the difference in where your rents are actually at and where the market is so you could be a gain or a loss to lease like you might be a leasing machine and a sales machine in some of these smaller properties so your rents actually might be higher than the market but if um if not right you want to see when the lease is up and starting that month how much are you going to plan to increase it right how long might it be vacant to get that increase or will that person renew uh, maybe to get that person renew instead of taking it all the way up to market maybe you just do a two percent three percent or four percent um, increase in the rent to try to keep them right to still get it a deal but still for them but to still uh, see some upside for you and your business and your property uh, so that's the first side is the revenue side right is looking at what else what else can you charge for like do you allow pets if you already allow pets, are you charging anything extra? Here we charge $30 a month per per pet. Plus when people move in, we have a $200 pet fee up front, right? As revenue, not as a deposit, as revenue. Uh, so it's it's where else can you can you charge back for heat? Can you, char can you um, charge back for water? Um, where, what, what things might you be missing that you can take advantage? Are you charging application fees? You should be charging application fees. Uh, what th do you have late? Do you have late rent charges or can people just pay whenever and you just kind of don't make them abide by the lease? Do you even have leases in place? Right. Um, so making sure that from the revenue standpoint, you can maximize how much revenue you're bringing in then, uh, operations budget for the expense side. You know, you look at the trailing 12 months of the previous year. And once again, where, where can you do better? Where'd you have waste? Um, you know, what might be getting more expensive right now? Um, what investments can you maybe make? uh to lower expense so maybe for example if if you as the owner are paying for water uh, is it worth it to and you have a 10 unit building and your water seems to be outrageous well you look at your toilets okay they're from the 1970s is it worth the investment of two thousand dollars to put in low flow toilets in this property and what will be the uh difference right how much will that lower will that lower your water by 20 percent, 30 percent? so it's looking at all of those things and then trying to strive for it. Are you going to ever, you going to actually hit the budgets that you set? I mean, usually we end up hitting more revenue than we sit for the budget, but also things are usually more expensive than we uh, plan on them being. Things always take longer and cost more than you think they're going to be. So, um, but it's a good thing to go through. 
I like going through the budgets and preparing budgets more than anything just to review to see where um, where we have opportunity. That's really the big thing for me, um, to be able to see where we have opportunity and uh, to ask the questions, what investments can we make to have more revenue to lower expenses um, from there? So I hope that answers your question a little bit. After acquisition, how do you manage investor distributions? Um, we start making distributions anywhere from 30 to 90 days after we acquire a property and then we pay monthly thereafter. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what the question is really meaning or asking here. Um, but yeah, we pay, we pay out monthly. Usually, you know, we don't pay for the first 30 to 90 days. You know, this, this next deal that we're closing in two weeks, you know, we probably won't pay distributions for 90 days. Um, reason being is because of, everything you know number one we want to always secure the asset understand the asset try to find and figure out things that we might have missed during due diligence there's always things that you might miss or you know whatever that need to just be taken care of um and then um we want to make sure we have the asset secure we want to make sure we can take care of anything that might potentially pop up that just needs to be taken care of that we didn't find in due diligence because it happens what can go wrong will go wrong um and then right now you know, we'll still wait, you know, typically we're paying like 45 days as average, we'll start paying distributions or so, but we'll wait 90 just because of the whole COVID thing too, to build up a little bit more reserves and, you know, have that cash on hand. And then when we start paying out, we start paying out more, for, more conservatively. So even if the cash was there to pay out a 10%, you know, 9%, 10%, 11% return right away, we're going to start with, you know, five to 6%, five to six and a half percent to be more conservative, to keep building up, um, with cash that's left and above and beyond those distributions will save and add to our reserves as well um, to prepare for whatever might come. You know, when COVID happened uh, and the world shut down, what, like March 6th of 2020 or whatever it was, you know, the first thing I did was look how much cash we had on hand. And I realized that we could have had zero revenue come in for six months on average across all the properties and still would have been able to find a way to make it. Um, and, uh, and that was on average across our whole portfolio. Um, so it never helps, it never hurts to have, you know, cash, cash on hand. And, um, and that, that made me feel a little bit better. Obviously things never got that worse. We, we ended up collecting, you know, 93 to 95% of our rents, uh, the rest of the last year. Um, so it worked out, but that's how we handle that. Be a little bit more conservative up front, And then, um, you can get more aggressive as you start to really understand the asset and make investments that are taking care of problems that might come up. Uh, to eliminate them from coming up and pushing them back to a later date when you have to take care of them again, whether it's seven years or 10 years from now. Next. The question is, at how many units did you hire your first employee? What was his or her uh, position and was it full or part-time? Um, the first employee we hired when there was eight units and basically it was just to be a part-time maintenance tech slash, you know, mowing the lawn. Um, and I got to decline that quick on that call. Um, and it was just part-time. I mean, I, I, this is, this is different for each person. Cause it's like, what are you good at? Right? Well, for a while I was like doing small maintenance things. Like if there was a sink that was leaking or whatever, I'd go try and figure it out. And like back in 2013, 14, it's just what I had to do. And I'm not good. I'm not talented. I can hardly change a light bulb. Um, and so that was, that's why that was the first thing that I'm like, I got to find some type of, you know, maintenance tech and that'll, you know, start doing some of this stuff. And then eventually I wanted to get the lawn mowing off my plate because I was mowing the lawns um, uh, because I needed, you know, I needed to be able to put my focus elsewhere. So I got, you know, that same person started mowing the lawns. Um, then as we grew, let me think for a second. 
Then as we grew, um, you know, the next thing that we really bought was the storage units. And that's where, you know, my buddy who found the deal, Josh Eastman, he basically, he did a lot of the, he did probably like 75%, 85% of the management of that, like filling the storage units and all that stuff. Um, and he had, you know, we, and we paid him to do that, but also, you know, he had equity in the deal. Um, and we did that just once again, so it could keep me free to still continue pursuing to get more properties and, and do all that. Then when we closed on a 88 unit, we ended up, um, when we started managing that in-house, we ended up, um, hiring a bookkeeper first and she was full-time and that's Ava and she's still with us today as our controller. I'm just trying to think. And then we hired a property manager and a maintenance tech. Um, and by the time, you know, when you're around a hundred units, that's about when a hundred unit property will typically have one full-time manager, one full-time maintenance tech. So you can kind of do the math. If you're looking to buy 50 units, it's probably a part-time job, depending on how old the units are, depending, you know, on a lot of different things. Um, but on average, um, talking high level on average, if you're looking to buy 50 apartments, odds are that could be, if you, and if you're good at maintenance and at like sales and leasing, all that stuff, it could be a, a full-time job because really it's a half, it's a 50%, um, half-time job, 20 hour a week job being the manager there and a 20 hour a week job doing maintenance there. Um, and once again, if you're at a hundred units, then you have, you'll, you'll likely have one full-time manager, one full-time maintenance tech. If you have 200 units, you'll likely have, you know, two, two uh, managers or it'd be, you know, one leasing agent, one manager, and then you'll have two maintenance techs. That's typically how it goes. Now, as you get properties to the point, you now the more, more work the properties need or the wet, the worst shape they're in, um, on a sliding scale of a property to D property, whatever the worst of a worst of a location um, it's in, you know, it needs more attention, right? It probably takes a little bit more time. So if you have a hundred units that are brand new class a, like it might only be a, you know, 20 hour a week job being a manager at something like that, 20 to 30 hour a week job. And it might be, you know, maintenance tech might be a, you know, 20 hour a week job being a maintenance tech at a property like that. Um, on average, just because it's newer, less deferred maintenance, less maintenance requests and work orders coming through. So that's um, a little, that's how to think about it. But to answer your question too, like, and I think, cause you're asking what you should do is my guess. I can't tell you what you should do. It depends what your strengths and weaknesses are, right? It depends how fast you want to grow. It depends how profitable you want to be or how much you want to put into the business from a dollar standpoint, because like right now we're at a point where Spalding group will actually, you know, cash flow will actually be like negative hundred thousand dollars this year ballpark, because I'm making investments in towards the people in the infrastructure that aren't going to pay me today. Right. So some people don't, don't understand what that means, but it basically what it means is it's taking me out of certain roles. So I'm paying for that to then still be able to, so I can go out and keep growing and acquiring. Right. Um, so you could be at, you could be at 50 units, but have six staff if you wanted to, because you got growth plans and you want to be able to plug and play units and have the staff ready already. You could, you could do that. Right. You could have excess capacity uh, so that you can grow faster, but it's, but it's an investment right? You got to have money or, um, or give up ownership or, you know, whatever. Um, so it really just depends what your goals are, what you're trying to do, uh, what your current financial situations like, uh, what you're good at, what you're bad at. Um, you know, if you hate, if you hate being the person that's going over to fix stuff, then, then, then find a part-time maintenance tech. If you suck, if, if you suck at or hate doing the books every month, find a part-time bookkeeper. If you've got 10 units or 20 units or 30 units, that's the route you'd go. And if, um, 
if you're just if you're really looking to scale your business and you're really good at doing deals and getting investors lined up, that's what you have to spend your time doing. So you got to find a way to pay people to get you out of the other things. And if your property is too small or your business is too small to actually afford it, then you got to make other investments in to the whole thing to make it work and to keep it afloat. Next question. Does that make sense? Yeah. I always ask Ryder if it makes sense or not because he's he's like learning too. Yeah. So. Um. Next question is. You just I just want to see quick if Instagram has any questions here that that popped up. I saw there was some, but. All right, Instagram, go join us live on uh, YouTube to see the rest of this. Go to the story and swipe up. Go to, go YouTube um, and subscribe. Swipe up. Swipe up on my story. Go to YouTube, watch us live, and subscribe. That's what I'm trying to say. Tongue twister. See ya. So the next question is, is it a bad idea for me to go in on a property with other people, especially my first one? Um, no, it's not a bad idea. I mean, there's so many people out there that want to have success or do great things. You can't do great things alone, period. Um, so no, it's not a bad idea. Should you be aware of like who you're doing business with and who's involved? Yeah, absolutely. And what the roles are? Yeah, for sure. You should be aware and you need to, you should pick wisely and all that stuff. Um, especially if you're just starting, but you got to find a way to start. And sometimes you need partners and all that stuff. I mean, we have, I think when we close this deal, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have 65 investors or so. So, um, go make it happen. Maybe you start with family. Maybe you start with close friends. Um, maybe you, you know, know some business owners in the area that you can go pitch a deal to or whatever. Um, but yeah, I got a question to add to that. Yeah. Say you partner with a, a random person, like a friend or something. Who, what, if you want to get a loan, who would the bank look at? Would they put together, like look at you guys together or just pull one of your credits? Um, they can look at you. You can have as many guarantors on the loan as you want. So like it could be you too. So would it help to have two? Yeah, for a it loan could, yeah or three or, you know, whatever, right? Because they'd look at all your guys' income. You guys would all be liable for it. Um, so yeah. So like when we're doing these big deals, there's more than just me signing on the line for debt. Right. I couldn't, so like I wouldn't be able to do that at, this point alone so we got three of us total right. that are going out to get you know 20 million in loans at a time or you know whatever right, right. my buddy uh i wanted to throw this one in there rider shaking his head no being a bear fan grant stewart asked this question i don't know if grant's listening but packers win the super bowl go pack go baby we need that championship my bro yes the packers are going to the super bowl i said it i say it every year though <laughs> and it hasn't happened since what 2010 so, and we won, and we won in 2010. I think the Bears are Tampa Bay. Bears are Tampa Bay? <laughs> I mean, I know the Bears aren't. Bears don't have a shot at going to the Super Bowl. Uh, this is your last question, so I mean. This is, okay, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm all in on the Packers. All in on the Packers. I, th- I Tom Brady's, obviously, he gets in the playoffs. Like, he could rock and roll with it. And, you know, I mean, he could, what, this be his seventh, right? Be his seventh Super Bowl win if he wins one. So, so yeah, I think uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get back there this year. It's got to go through Lambeau. We just got to keep winning. Not gonna have as many fans in the stands, but that's all right. And we're gonna go to Tampa. So that's for me. What? Uh, hiring property management members, in-house property manager. So mean like third-party yeah, property like managers? Yeah. So my thoughts on third-party property management versus in-house property management. Anytime you can do stuff in-house, it's like you as the owner, if you have equity in it and you're the one responsible for reporting to the partners and all that stuff, anytime you have in-house, yeah, it's always going to be ran better. Uh, we had, 
we've had we've got experience with two other property management companies and one experience was just an absolute nightmare where they were like stealing money and you know whatever i mean it was just brutal it was in 2017 or 2016 i think um and that's actually when i booted them and we hired a, you know the the bookkeeper we hired <clears throat> uh the the prop the property manager and hired the maintenance tech um and then you know i had another experience with third-party property management and they did good i mean it was like you know it was good it wasn't like oh my god this is amazing they weren't performing at the properties the way that we've spalding group has performed not not anywhere close but they were good they were okay it was like this is all right you know i wasn't super thrilled but i wasn't like pissed off like the other company um so um and then as far as like you know people ask us too um and you know, just being the owner you care more right the third party people like they're not they're just they're you gotta remember they're getting paid a fee to manage your property like yeah they gotta do a good enough job to keep you happy but they just want to collect the fee um you know the other thing is like they're not looking to position the property really fast to sell i mean in all honesty like because if it sells they don't they, they might lose that stream of income of the management fee so um anytime you can manage an in-house is great but it's a it's a lot of work i mean anytime you're dealing with people um you know our coo myself and ava i mean we're dealing with people all the time there's just always issues that come up and you know whatever it's just when you deal with people and you're dealing with property that's how it is and so um in any business when you're dealing with people there's there's just people problems right and you just have to navigate your way through them and figure it out and find solutions um so that's one issue obviously of having it in house you have all that to worry about and you've got to you know if people quit you you got to figure it out right um now us being a uh in-house property manager or managing our own properties we do not do third-party property management anymore because once again it's just like there's no money there like you're you're, you're trying to like squeeze every freaking penny to to um i mean you're squeezing every dime to make a penny like it's just brutal um and it's it was not very fun um and so it wasn't a very good experience so we're just like you know what it's not worth our time and energy with where we want to go as a company and have fifty thousand units it's not where we want to go or it's not where we want to spend our time and energy uh getting bogged down in 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 managing other people's properties so we just stopped offering the service and we do it all in-house so and, and, and it's been great. I mean, anytime we take, we've taken a property like in-house or have taken over a property, we're always, we're always able to get, you know, the, the revenues up. We're always able to, you know, cut out certain expenses and, you know, all that stuff. We've always been able to have great results. I mean, you know, here's a great example. If the storage units that we, that, that we, I talked about before that Josh and I bought and my family was involved in and Josh's grandma was involved in, we would have never, we would have never made a million bucks in 30 months. We made a million bucks in 30 months on that deal because of the value added at the property of when we went to sell it, that there was just someone willing to pay that much more for it because of the value added. Uh, we would have never been able to do that if it was third party property management, not even close, not even, not even close. We'd probably still have the property today because we wouldn't have repositioned it to be attractive enough for another buyer, to be honest. So that was the power of that. I mean, the, um, same thing with the two, the initial two, four units that I had, if that was third party management, the stuff that happened there would have never, uh, we would have we would have never been able to you know we bought those i think we're all in like 380,000 and just a few years later sold them for 610 would have never been able to do that cuz not as much care would have been done and not and, and it would have been less urgency right like i'm someone like i'm walking around here fast the fastest faster than anyone else as i should because i'm the owner of the business right and there's a sense of urgency so um when you have that sense of urgency when you have that you know you care more um and it's also just easier for your employees i think too 
managing things that you own versus you being the owner, having employees and those employees also managing third party. It just, it was hard. It just, so uh, this is too many hands in the bucket. Cause like me as an operator, I wanted to do certain things at that property, but the owner didn't want to put the money in or, you know, take the hit where we had a, I mean, we should have gotten 16 people that that place should have gone down to 50%, maybe 45% occupied for a year and clean it up. Um, and just start from zero essentially. And it would have been so much further ahead. That's what I would have done if I was the owner, but it just wasn't an option. And I get it. It's fine. Right. Cause there's a million ways to do it. And he didn't want to go that route, but it just, um, that's the issue with third-party management. John Hurley asks, uh, can you speak more about how you started the moves you were making while renting and saving while living in your apartment? Yeah, so John, um, you know, just this is another side note. People are like, I'm gonna buy a place and live in it. Wherever you live is an expense, right? So if you're buying a four unit apartment building, you're gonna live in it for free, that's still an expense because it's a it's a spot that you cannot rent out and have in income coming in, right? Um we're expensive human beings. So wherever we live is an expense. I chose not to live in my own apartments that I owned, but I lived off site at a different property. I didn't want people coming to my door, knocking on my door, knowing I was the owner and didn't, you know, take care of all these issues. I wanted to get away. Um, it would have drove me nuts living on my own property. Um, and I wanted to, and I wanted to get that thing full because I viewed that as a business. I didn't want myself to personally not have to pay rent just like, because then it's going to suck down the value of your business. You got an apartment that's not paying rent, right? Uh, every dollar that drops to the net operating income is worth 16 bucks uh, when you have a 6% cap rate. So if I would have lived in an apartment, it could have taken the value down, you know, let's just call it uh, $115,000. That's the value. So I chose to live offside a different apartment because wherever we live, we are expensive human beings, living creatures. We, we pee, we poop, we eat, we consume electricity, we ruin shit. We put holes in walls sometime, you know, whatever. Uh, we're expensive. We take up space. We're expensive. Um, that's just a side note. So just going more into John's question, can you speak more about how, how I started and the moves I was making while I was renting, saving, while living in an apartment? So but even before I was living in an apartment, I was still living at my mom and dad's place. So I was like 26 or something. Um, because I, was hard, I didn't care where I lived. I mean, it's awesome. I love living with my mom and dad and my sister, like, because... I love my family. So like, I'm, and I, I was lucky enough to have that opportunity, but I was like hardly ever, I, there's sometimes where like, I'd be gone because I was doing, at that time I was doing direct sales. I'd be gone for like 18 hours in a day. I'd get home at three in the morning from a mixer, like uh, an event that I had to drive six hours to. I was just grinding away at the business, right? So my mindset was when I was first starting, I wanted to keep my personal expenses as low as possible. And I didn't care. Like once I started making $5,000 a month, my expenses didn't go up. They did not go up at all. Nothing changed because instead of there being an expense, like every time I had a Jimmy John sandwich, I'm like, shit, that's $6 less that I have to put towards the next building. Because at that point in time, every dollar, like every dollar always makes a big difference, right? Now, what I also realized though, is I had to really push the pedal on making income because you can only live that way for so long. Like once you start having kids and you know your life gets more complicated, whatever, your expenses just go up. Right. So you can only live now. You can still choose to live very frugally, you know, whatever. Some people might end up in divorce if they're married and kids and they're living the way I was living when I was 25. Uh, but that's what you have to come to realize. So this is my next point. What you have to come to realize at some point, though, is you 
the amount of money you can make is infinite. The amount of money that you can cut from your personal expenses is, is it's a finite number. It's, it's, there's a limit on it because once you get to zero, you literally cannot spend any less money than zero. But once I get to a thousand dollars of revenue or a thousand dollars that I'm making a month and to 2000 to 5,000 to 10,000, there's no cap that way. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep my expenses. That was like $1,100 a month. I'm going to keep my expenses $1,100 a month when I was making $2,200 a month. Kept them at $1,100 a month when I was making $4,000. Kept them at $1,100 a month until I was making $8,000. And I mean, I still really don't have that much outflow. I, I just don't. And so, um, but when I was starting, I would save up. And like I said before, like when I would go to Jimmy John's, literally in my mind, I would be like, and that's why I think Ryder's in here eating ramen noodles because in his mind, he eats ramen noodles every day. It's 24 cents. It's 24 cents per meal. But in his mind, it's like, well, this is like a dollar. Like every dollar matters. Like when you're starting, every dollar really, really matters. Yeah, and his girlfriend hates him. And like, but when, when you're just starting, you, every single dollar really, really matters. And I would literally have that mindset. Anytime I go out to eat, anytime I'd spend money, anytime I'd buy, that that was my mindset from like age, literally from like age 20 to like 27. That's just like, that That was my mindset. Now I'm like, I'm a little bit different. Like if I buy a, you know, buy my dad some uh, uh, pappy, some, some, some bourbon. And if you look that up the 12 year on that, I spent a little bit of money on that. And, but like, so it's a little bit less concerning some of those smaller dollar amounts now, but it's different now, right? I've got cash flow producing assets that are paying for things that I normally wouldn't have bought in the past, right? The boat, well, the boat's covered by cash flow producing assets. I have cash flow coming in from properties every month. Like, you know, me making a boat payment and having a down payment on a boat is relative in relative terms is nothing. Plus freaking a in COVID times this last summer, there would have been nothing to do. If we didn't have the boat. So it was a good choice. But uh, John, to go back to your question, keep your expenses as low as possible. Find a way to raise how much you're making every single month and put in 80, 90, 100 hours um, a week to raise your income level. Right. And what you got to realize, John, the other mindset that I had was as I was building my direct sales, I knew that like I wasn't going to I made like eleven thousand dollars in 2012. The whole year, like the year I graduated, I made eleven thousand dollars. I had other buddies that were making fifty to seventy thousand dollars a salary. But I knew the eleven thousand dollars I was doing, I was I was keeping myself so busy, my my schedule booked with appointments and just grinding direct sales. I knew that what the work that I was putting in was going to pay me later. Right. And so you got to be able to have that mindset of like all the work that you do, you might only get paid $4,000. You're like, Jesus, I'm working like 105 hours a week. I'm making, you know, I'm making crap money right now, but you got to realize you're, you're actually going to get paid for that work you put in two years later. And that's still my mindset. Like I have not been paid for anything that I've done in 2019 and 2020 yet. Zero. It's been an all investment that's going to come at a later date. Last year, in 2020, I got paid for all the work I did from 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, uh, 18. I didn't get paid for 19 what I was doing last year. So that's the mindset you got to have. John, then as your as your uh, savings goes up, you can't be scared. Don't put it in a 401k is my advice. Don't put it in an IRA. Don't gamble it in stock market. Save until you get to a for sure thing, whether it's real estate. And I don't know if that's your question, if it's you know, getting into real estate or not, but whatever that, that, that sure thing is. And then don't be scared to write a, if you have $50,000 of savings, don't be scared. Once you find a great deal, that's going to cash flow and you know, all this stuff. Don't be scared to write a full check for $50,000 into the deal. Let it go. Let the money go. 
Uh, as I said before, I'm I was always worried about a six dollar Jimmy John sub, but I couldn't wait to write a hundred thousand dollar check in 2016. The win December 2016, December 2016, I wrote a hundred thousand dollar check into a company. At that point, I was still worried about. I mean, let's be honest. I still think whatever Jimmy John sub I get now, six dollars. But I I was still like I'm like damn like this six dollar Jimmy John's. But the next day. I wrote a hundred thousand dollars. I couldn't wait to let the hundred thousand dollars go. Most people reverse. Most people will get fifty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars in their savings. They do not want to let that go, but have no problem getting Jimmy John's sub. Because I, because they're they're such, it's a such a short term type thing, and they're like it's only six dollars. Versus my thing was like every six dollars will add up to this fifty to a hundred, and then I got to trade this fifty to a hundred, John. I got to trade this fifty to a hundred in for an asset. I got to trade my cash savings for an asset. I don't want to sit at my cash savings because it's not doing, it's not growing. It's not paying me anything more than 0.05% sitting in a bank. Uh, so I want to put it to work. John, does that answer your question? That was long-winded again. And I was all over, but, that was good. but, uh, so how long are we into this right now? Oh man, we're always running out into about an hour next week. We might, I know Ryder like track down a guest. Secret guest. Secret. Nick Minogue, I don't know if you're watching, but now I'm calling you out. You said you're busy. I'm busy too. Like, let's just find a time to do it over Zoom or whatever. We'll broadcast it live. It'll be cool. Nick, one of my, uh, I don't think he was Mr. Minogue, Nick Minogue. I don't think he was a teacher at Milton High School when I was there, but he was assistant basketball coach. So that's how I got to know him and then went to talk to their classes. Actually, that's how I got to meet Ryder, um, who, who joined our company three, three, four, five months ago, five, five months ago or whatever, uh, straight out of high school. He did, he graduated high school, wanted to come work right here to be able to learn, didn't go to college, you know, whatever. But I actually went back to talk to Mr. Minogue's class and he was in that class. until we first met, whatever. Um, so Mr. Minogue was interested in coming on the show to, to ask me, right. What was he? Things that you wish you high school or yeah. you wish that high school taught you. Yeah. So we were going to, he was going to come out and ask me a few questions about like what, you know, high school, what I wish I could have learned and what my mindset was, you know, whatever. But I thought it'd be cool. Instead of just him asking the question, like everyone else asks, asks questions, I thought it'd be cool to have him come on the show so we could have some like uh, give and take. Cause he also got to see my mindset too, as an athlete a little bit. So I think like him being able to tell some stories, I don't know if he remembers much or whatever, but I, I know I remember much, I remember a lot. Um, and so for us to be able to talk about some of that thing, th those things too, cause it really was relatable, um, to a lot of things that, you know, I'm doing now. I mean, athletics, like athletics was more important than any schooling I did. It was more, in it was more important than high school. Uh, high school football was more important than high school grades and classes. Um, you know, the formative stuff is important. When you're in like first grade and learning how to do math, like that math is important. Like one plus one and a hundred plus hundred and then like... You know, I got Bryn, my stepdaughter, already like doing like math, like like talking about millions and whatever, right? That stuff's important. But then like some of the stuff in high school, I'm like, I'm never gonna like, I'm never gonna use this stuff. Some of the things that like 98% of the things in college, I'm never with my mindset, I'm never gonna use this stuff. But athletics, man, athletics, I knew that I could use the stuff that I had in athletics. I mean, the mindset that you have to have, the work ethic, working with other people, leading people, uh, overcoming like adversity. Um, you know, and once again, it's just a game. So when I say overcoming adversity, it's in context. But when you're a college athlete, like when you're to you, that's really adverse times if you're struggling on a team, right? So if you guys are 0-3, it's, it's, it's adverse to you at, at that point in life. Um, so yeah, it'd be cool if we can, uh, Ryder, if you can keep kind of reaching out. I'll try to reach out to him too, actually. I'm going to, I'm going to hit up on Facebook. I'm going to be like, dude, where you at? Let's go. 
So, and then actually I'll probably start having more guests on here every now and then too, to turn it into like where we can take your questions and maybe answer them together. I don't know. Or I don't know. We just kind of freestyle it, free ball it, free ball it, free ball it every day, you know? All right. Well, this has been the third episode of the Justin Spalding show. Thanks again. Thanks again so much um, for tuning in. Um, If you're live, it's awesome. Um, If you're watching this recording on YouTube, please, please, please subscribe. Please share this. If you're watching live or the recording, please share this with someone else that not just anybody, but like anyone else that would truly get value out of it. Um, and hopefully like we can kind of take more of this th- these things too. Cause I think a lot of business and sports principles can also be used just anywhere in life. So hopefully this can be more of just like life talk as well as the business and money and real estate and sports component. Um, I mean, we really haven't talked too much about sports, but but yeah, if we can just intertwine everything, uh, just share this thing, share this thing, share this thing. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to come to you guys live next week. Uh, hopefully with a guest, we'll see. And we will, uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Have a great weekend. Uh, go Seattle Seahawks. They play the Saints. Oh, that's right. They play the Saints. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, Seahawks too. Yeah. Yeah. They play the Saints. I was thinking the Seahawks last week when I was doing the math in my head, me and my buddy, I'm like, oh, yeah, they'll play the Seahawks. We were trying to figure out the seeds. And I'm like, oh wait, no, New Orleans. Yeah, you're right. New Orleans. So Drew Brees' last year. It could be his last game. Last game, it will be. <laughs> go Saints. See you guys. Enjoy the weekend.